Listening to the flip side with Noah Philippiad, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grid of life. You can support the podcast and pick up some sweet flip side swag at www.patreon.com slash Noah Philippiad. What up, Flip Eponami? Welcome to episode 69 of the Flip Side Podcast. Don't you love it when you are recording a podcast on video and on audio and you only click record on the audio, not on the video. So you do your whole intro and then you go, oh, I didn't record on video. So I got to go do it all over again. Yeah, I love it when that happens. So not not that that would ever happen around here. On the flip side, welcome to this episode. And this is part two. Uh, Part two. Today I'm going to be interviewing Jack and Becky Saitsema. They are pastors. Well, Jack's pastor. Becky, I'm not sure if she's an official pastor, but she might as well be. She's awesome. Does a lot. They're over at Lake Effect Church. I can tell you they're both church planters. They planted Lake Effect Church in Grand Rapids. And uh, about a year ago, Jack shared his testimony with his congregation for the first time. Uh, He came out to his congregation, in a sense, uh, for lack of a better word. He shared about being gay or same-sex attracted. He is married to Becky, who is straight. They are in what's called a mixed orientation marriage. And episode 67 of The Flip Side, which is two episodes ago, uh, I shared uh, my my thoughts kind of as part of the episode on LGBTQ+, and how I think we should approach it as Christians, and some uh, theological views and things like that. That's part one. So make sure before you listen to today's episode, part two, you go back and listen to part one. You don't want to start the Star Wars trilogy at Empire Strikes Back. Okay, you got to start it at episode four, A New Hope, a.k.a. what's called Star Wars. Uh, Very confusing to those who aren't Star Wars nerds. Uh, So sorry about that. But my point is, listen to episode 67. Come back. Listen to this one, episode 69, because in episode 67, I play that whole sermon. The whole sermon of Jack's. It's the best talk I've ever heard on this subject. It's very well nuanced. It is, it's so good. Uh, go listen to that first, because you're going to get a lot of backstory. You'll get a lot of, um, a, a lot of, no, we don't need that again. Thank you. A lot of backstory uh, about Jack and about Becky, and we don't go over any of that today because you should have already listened to that. So go listen to that first, uh, the backstory and the sermon itself, the testimony itself, and then come back and listen to this one today. So uh, this is part two, and it's awesome. Interview is already recorded. It is so good uh, for, man, it's just so, it's so helpful when we can have conversations and where, where we go, look, we are all in the same boat in the sense that we need Jesus. We need to find wholeness in him. We look to sex. We look to romantic relationships to give us our wholeness. And that ultimate, truest, deepest sense of wholeness can only be found in the intimacy that Jesus provides. And that is such a beautiful gift that we have in him. And we're meant to be able to... to in community, help each other along in that path. And so today, I think today's conversation is going to go a long way for those who listen. Uh, Hopefully pastors are tuning in and churches are tuning in on how to approach the topic of LGBTQ plus and sexuality at large uh, well. And so uh, 
Prior to jumping into the interview, though, let me just say a quick thanks, a quick shout out to Angry Brew. I've got my Angry Brew here in my awesome flip upon my mug. You can get your own flip upon my mug or many more amazing flip side swag. Go to patreon.com slash noahphilippiak and become a patron and support the show. You can also support the show by going to angrybrew.com. <laughs> I can't talk. Angrybrew.com or fivelakes.com. Pick up a bag of Chris's Blend or Angry Brew. Use the promo code FLIP. You'll get 10% off your order and you'll be hooking us up with some support as well. So big shout out. Thank you to Angry Brew. Also want to say we talk a little bit in the episode today about Beyond the Battle and uh, about these groups that I run. Uh, those groups, you can find them at beyondthebattle.net. That says not just a commercial. This is truly a plea to you. Uh, the groups, My groups are for guys. If you're a guy listening and in any way, shape, or form are struggling with sexual sin and temptation, and so many of us are, and we're not talking about it enough in church, and you need a space to be vulnerable with other guys and to grow closer to Jesus and to start to your your, your appetites change from, from being kind of addicted to what the flesh wants to, to being, wow, what God has to offer is actually better. That appetite can change, and that's the path we'll go down together for seven weeks. So go to... Uh, beyondthebattle.net and sign up for an upcoming group. We would love to get you into a group. On that same note, shout out to Covenant Eyes. Big thanks to Covenant Eyes for sponsoring the flip side as well. Uh, prior to jumping into the interview with Jack and Becky, where he'll hear a quick word from Covenant Eyes. Awesome accountability software to help you stay away from pornography. I use Covenant Eyes. I need it. You probably need it too. Highly encourage you to jump in and we'll get you a free 30-day trial of Covenant Eyes so you can try it for free. So thanks to Covenant Eyes. And then let's jump in and hear from Jack and Becky Saitsema. Pornography. It's not a comfortable subject, but 94% of men and 87% of women have seen pornography at some point in their lives. Has porn impacted your life and your relationships? Here's the good news. You can begin the journey to freedom today and have peace of mind knowing you're not alone in the fight. That's how Covenant Eyes works through biblical accountability. When you sign up, you choose an ally to receive your device reports and walk with you towards a life free from porn and the life that God desires for you. Try it free for 30 days by visiting CovenantEyes.com and enter promo code BEYOND at checkout. That's CovenantEyes.com promo code beyond at checkout freedom begins today all right jack and becky here you are uh on the flip side after we've got to know you a little bit via jack sermon a couple episodes ago so thank you guys so much for joining me on the podcast today it's great to be here thanks for the invitation thanks yeah. for having us absolutely absolutely well i want to start by reading an email from a listener that came in after uh, episode 67 that, that we posted with your sermon, Jack, and your testimony. And uh, this listener says, Noah, thank you for posting the June 25th podcast. It is the best podcast on SSA, same-sex attraction, uh, that I have heard. I admire the bravery of Pastor Jack, and I wish and wish I could do the same. I feel seen, known, and loved after this podcast. All church pastors need to hear it thank you for your work 
Um, so I just wanted to I wanted to read that as an encouragement to you both uh, for the story you shared and for right. allowing me to, to share it again on this podcast. Um, we know at least one person's life has been has been profoundly affected by it. Thank you. That's great. That's yeah. very encouraging. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Jack, let's start out with you. Um, we, we went back and forth a little bit even on how to title these episodes, gay or same-sex attracted. And I've talked about those terms before on the podcast, but it's different for you because you are a real person living a real life. Uh, you are a pastor. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure listeners, often for straight Christians, this, this, the LGBT same-sex attracted conversation debate, if yeah. you will, it, it, it's, uh, it could be like an academic debate. It could be like yeah. a, like a theological debate. And, and we debate about open and affirming or, or, you know, traditional marriage. We debate about, should it be called same-sex attraction or should you be able to say gay or LGBT? Yeah. Um, but for us, it's just theology. It's, it's just, uh, it's, it kind of goes in line with other things we debate. Uh, but for you, there's there's real consequences to some of the terms that you use. And and please know, I'm not asking you to yeah. speak for all uh, yeah. gay or same sex attracted Christians yeah. here. But how do you navigate those terms and, and what resistance uh, do you kind of find yourself stuck yeah. between? Thank you. Well, thank you for that question. That is a good question. I appreciate your compassion to say, you know, you're the real person. You know, it's not a theological debate because I think. The term of can you call yourself gay? Is it same-sex attracted? What is it? It's so, it's become like the new divisive conversation when you talk about Christians trying to steward their sexuality. You know, and I think what's hard for me, so many people when they want to hear my story, they kind of want to sum it up in one word, gay or same-sex attracted. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, this is my sexuality. This is not just one word. It's not one sentence. It's paragraphs to understand my story. So I think sometimes when I, you know, I'm just talking about my story, I'm just asking for people to, to kind of let go of some of their assumptions and kind of listen to what the person is saying. Because if you go even back to the Bible, the Bible doesn't distinguish people between there's gay people, then there's straight people. It just talks about people. And I think, you know, the term gay and straight and homosexuality or heterosexuality, that was more of a psychology term that came together in the 1800s to help understand how people process things in the world. So when I would refer to myself as same-sex attracted or gay, it's not that's not my identity. That's not who I am. That's just kind of how I am. That's how I experience the world. That's how my sexuality is, uh, is operates. So I think I get pretty frustrated when, you know, people say, oh, he's gay. Then they have a lot of assumptions that they quit tag on to my story. Yeah. And I think that is kind of some of, the fallout from sharing our story mm -hmm. as people quickly hear gay, same sex attracted, then they have a lot of assumptions and they're not usually good assumptions. <laughs> they're not positive. They're more like, Oh, you must sleep around. Oh, he must do porn. Oh, he must be unfaithful to his wife. And it's like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. We're just saying a word. See for, to me, the word gay doesn't describe uh, actions. It's just how a person experiences the world. And so, you know, so do I use I'm gay or I'm same-sex attracted? Um, it depends what the audience is. You know, I find the younger people are, they're kind of cool with the word gay and they don't come, they don't understand that word with a bunch of assumptions about it. But older people, I kind of have to use more of the word same-sex attracted and maybe speak a little slower on kind of describing my experience in the world. Mm -hmm. So I think that's... Um, 
that's kind of how I don't know. Am I answering your question? Did I did I make it? Yeah. Clear? Okay. Yeah, that's good. I just I wanted to get your take on it, and I've uh, I I don't I won't even share mine because I I think I do I'll just I do think everybody has a different reason for using. I I know friends that use the term same sex attracted to describe themselves, and others that intentionally want to use the word gay, uh, even or LGBT, uh, even though they're they're living. Uh, what what we would consider, you know, a, a biblical traditional view of they believe in sex between a man and a woman, but but they're gay. And so there's some that that go out of their way to use the word gay. And there's there's others that go out of their way uh, to use the word same sex attracted. And, and I don't think it's up to straight Christians uh, to tell those that are gay or same sex attracted what they need to uh, what word they need to use to, to identify themselves, because uh, there's pressures you face. And, and like you said, there's different audiences that you're talking to. And sure. uh, I would love for there to be less of a debate around yeah. that because we like to divide over everything and it, it doesn't feel like we need one more, <laughs> one yeah. more division. So, yeah. yeah and that helpful. is a hard, that's a hard thing. Cause I'm listening to some younger people that experience same sex attraction that are trying to steward their sexuality um, according to a traditional biblical view. And they get so discouraged by the theological debate over what how they can describe their experience yeah. to the point where they're saying, why even try? I can't please anybody. Here, I'm trying to steward my sexuality. This isn't easy because I'm giving up something. And now I have theological debates if I'm that, you know, condemning me if I use the word gay or if I describe myself as same-sex attracted. And people like to jump on board and say, well, that's you can't say that because that's you're declaring that's your identity. And it's like, no, I'm not. Yeah. I just want you to understand me. I want to be seen by you. I mean, I love how that that person reacted to um, the previous podcast by saying, you know, I felt seen. I think people want to be seen. They want to be known. They want to be loved. And the only way you can be seen and known and loved is to be vulnerable and tell people how you really are and how you experience the world. So, mm -hmm. you know, you want people to have that opportunity to be honest and come to the table and say, hey, this is how I experience the world without feeling like now I just entered it into a theological debate. Yeah, and that's, that's sad. Yeah. And that's a word churches need to hear and denominations need to hear, yeah. because I think we being the straight, you know, evangelical church are making it really hard, much harder yeah. uh, for for people to be open and, and even to just walk a path of discipleship that's actually honest. Yeah, uh, because we're we have so much condemnation even about what words you use. And and, and we have whole blog articles and, and books out about why you shouldn't use that word and you should yeah. use this word instead. And I think we're 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 definitely missing uh, what's the you know, straining out the gnat, <laughs> that kind of thing. Right. So, um, Becky, let me ask you, uh, we, we talked Jack shared in the sermon in episode 67, you know, the, the timeline about how you guys met and. I think this was a word you used, Jack, and uh, as we talked about some questions. So I'm going to it's in quotes, ex-gay here. But uh, Becky, when you were dating Jack, he told you he was, quote, ex-gay. And then can can you kind of go over the the timeline? Uh, and because I don't I don't remember all the specifics when uh, it's you got married. And then was it after you were married that he told you, hey, at some point he said, hey, I'm I'm actually not straight. Like, was that before you were married or after you were married that you found that out? 
Yeah, thanks. Thank you for asking that. I appreciate that. The one thing I also want to say with regard to what you were just talking about with terms is that's something that we've come across too, is people don't know what bucket to put us in. So they they just, they tend to... uh, to, to really mess up with terms on that too, or, or feel that we're using the wrong term when we describe our marriage as, as a mixed orientation marriage. But I was not aware that I was in a mixed orientation marriage for 23 years. Mm-hmm. So it was not until we were married that long. But I do want to back up if you're asking me about the timeline, just to let you yeah. know, you know, that, that God was sovereign in our situation. And I feel that he can be that way in the situation for many, many people who have maybe even discounted the idea of getting married, even when they deal with same-sex attraction. In our particular case, um, it was very supernatural the way that God brought us together. In the beginning, I had been in a very difficult relationship for many years that the Lord, that was very abusive, and the Lord supernaturally delivered me from that. That's a whole story in itself. But at that time, I felt like the Lord was saying to me to just sit with him for two years, not date, not do anything, just let him heal me and sit with him. And that's what I did. And then right at the end of those two years, I had a dream. And in that dream, uh, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, I have your husband for you, and he is going to be at a particular conference next week. I wasn't scheduled to go to that conference, and it was in a different state. But my folks were running it, so I could pick up the phone and say, hey, I think I want to come to your conference. And uh, sure enough, there there were 3,000 people there, and nevertheless, I met Jack. And when I saw Jack, I knew that was the person that had been in the dream. So it was very supernatural for me. I knew God was doing something. And as Jack, obviously, Jack and I needed to get to know each other. We needed to, to go through that process, and we weren't married for two and a half years even after that. Um, but but he was upfront with me when we first when we were first talking in that he he described himself as ex-gay. Now in a lot of subsequent conversations we have, I believe that he was telling me what he believed was true, mm-hmm. because he had been through um, reparative therapy, he had been through a lot of of prayer and you know different kinds of inner healing and different sorts of laying ons of hands and things like that sort of praying the gay away, which was really popular. I, I had a big paradigm for that. I was, I was in a crowd where that was not, uh, that wasn't that unusual. And it didn't bother me. I knew that if God could deliver me, then God surely could deliver Jack. And I believe that he did to a, to a particular extent from the, from the um, just from living under a gay identity, I guess is how I would put that. But um, but I, we, 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 so when we were married, we were married under the presumption that he was ex-gay, uh, but that he was fully able to participate within this marriage. And I feel that that was true. Now I'll be very honest with you in saying that for the first 23 years of, of our marriage, we learned very quickly how to be a good team. We have two special needs children and we needed to learn how to do well together. And I think Jack and I as individuals blend very well together. Um, uh, But sex was kind of crappy for 23 (laughs) years. It really was, but it was okay because we were very busy with special needs kids and different things going on. Um, But it it wasn't really as fulfilling probably as, but it, it wasn't, 
really that important to me. I think I was just being a mom. Uh, Then uh, we're about next week to celebrate our 26th anniversary. And so 23 years ago, uh, I mean, so then three years ago, the Lord really, uh, as was told, that whole story was told in episode 67. So I won't rehash that. But how that hit me is in the depths of my heart, I think I knew that was true, but that hadn't been said out loud before. And so that threw me for a little while into a a place where I didn't know where I fit for a little bit. I was kind of looking at Jack a little bit differently. I was like, well, who are you? What does this mean? How does this, how does this relate to our marriage? What does that mean for me as a woman? Where do I fit in that? Uh, are attracted to me at all? What 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 what's happening? <laughs> you know, yeah. and it did take me a little while to gain my footing in that. Uh, but then something very interesting happened: is that I, I and I got I, I got mad at Jack uh, at that. At, at, I I felt like I had I had been lied to um, at the beginning. As we worked those things through, I realized that that's not what he because that's what he had been wanting to believe about himself so deeply that that's what he was sharing with me. Um, so I don't think that it was, it was intentional deceit at all. Um, but I felt like, uh, you know, this is different than what I signed up for. But then I started watching Jack really become very raw and open and vulnerable with the Lord in a different way than he ever had in our marriage. He started getting up at two and three o'clock in the morning to just get desperate for God and seek mm-hmm. God. And, and I started watching Jack begin to change. I started watching the Lord pursue him and him pursue the Lord. I started seeing him saying, okay, Lord, nothing is off the table. You can deal with anything in my life. And he was doing that very genuinely. And uh, I think that, that as he was doing that, it, it really brought a new sense of, uh, of respect for Jack and his personhood and his devotion to the Lord and his discipleship. And, um, and so I began saying, you know, maybe I need to enter into this a little bit more and partner with him a little bit and go down this path. The Lord, uh, and that's when I began to lean into two separate things. Number one, the dream that God gave me saying, Mm -hmm. this is your husband, you know, and, and I had to say, well, if that was true, then it's still true now. And then I began learning a lot more about covenant and what covenant really means. And covenant, while while sex is a part of that, when you're talking about marriage, Mm -hmm. it is not all that there is to it. There is just a oneness that is there, uh, regardless of that. Uh, I've known of some marriages that have never been able to have sex, maybe perhaps due to due to disability or whatever. And particularly one couple that just, they were as united as any two people I had ever seen. And so Jack and I began together just deciding to really press into the whole idea of covenant and covenant marriage. And what does that mean? Mm. And understanding that that has nothing to do with our actual desires it has to do with our attractions and those are actually two different things and that's a that's that's a lot that's a whole other thing to go down but that uh, our desires and our attractions really are different and jack was very attracted to me as because of our covenant we had that connection and i was very attracted to jack 
And as we leaned into that, we also found that uh, that our sexual relationship became much better because the in in terms of covenant, when you really look at it very biblically, covenant is really being able to press into the Lord and have him do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And because Christ was the center of our covenant relationship, we literally had to pray a few times and ask him to come into our bedroom Hmm. and uh and 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 be that covenant piece for us and kind of reteach us how to relate to each mm-hmm. other sexually and do for us what we weren't sure how we could do for ourselves and really those have been incredibly beautiful encounters encounters in fact that as i've sat and talked to uh, some of my straight friends who are in straight marriages uh some of these ladies that i've talked to will just lean in to me and say I wish I had in my marriage what you have in yours, even though I have a, I have a, uh, it doesn't look to the world like what we have should work. But when we sit and have that time to have those paragraphs to actually explain what's going on, um, we're seeing that people are actually longing for what Jack and I have, mm. which is incredibly mm-hmm. unique. Yeah, it is. But it's, 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 it's really it good. Works. Our, yeah. our marriage is, is solid and it's good, but no, just the short answer to your timeline. I didn't re- I wasn't totally aware until about three years ago. Yeah. But I wouldn't yeah. change even one thing at this mm. point. I That's would have good. three years ago. Yeah. At yeah. this point, I would not. That's yeah. Good. Well, you know, and, and, and I asked that about the timeline because I think most stories I've heard end in divorce, you know, when, when something like this happens where, where in a Christian, a Christian setting, uh, one of the, one of the two, you know, um, for whatever reason, like the guys, these are people I know, you know, people yeah, sure. that maybe I went to college with or whatever, and was, was, was hiding that or, or had repressed it, uh, because of like, yeah, man, it's, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, but we're going to do this God's way. And then it became too much. And then they, they shared it. Um, and then it, it, quickly just, you know, dissolves from there. And so I think that's really powerful what you shared and your testimony uh, for and and for straight marriages as well. I'm going to come back to that. I've got a question for you uh, in a minute about that. But I thought it was I thought what you said is really good about sex, too, because I feel like, you know, the work I do with Beyond the Battle and my own struggles and my own journey, uh, our our culture. Wow, we worship sex. You know, like our culture—that is the number one idol yeah. uh, in our culture, and it's the, it's the number one temptation for me. You know, it's in this this idea that if you're married, you better be having the best sex in the world, and yeah. if you're single, you better go out and have the best sex in the world. Like, sex is the—I mean, it is such the number one driving force for for singles, for married people. So if you're not having good sex in your marriage, you better go find somebody else. You know, you better go you better go outside of your marriage and find it, or go to porn and so I, I love any time we can have a conversation that takes sex off of this this sure. idolatry, you know, yeah. this pedestal of idolatry. And uh, we can we we can look at what actually makes up a healthy relationship first yeah. and foremost, but also um, look at sex the way it's meant to be the sure. way it's meant to be looked at and maybe examine. And Jack, I'm going to transition this over to a question for you. If we can examine in sex. You know, what is it I'm really after? What is it I'm really looking for? What's the deeper need that that I'm trying to get out of this? Because you've talked to me before uh, in in a conversation about. So like in in my Beyond the Battle groups, we've had several guys come through who are same sex attracted or gay. 
These are guys that 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 believe in the traditional view of marriage and sex between a man and a woman. And they're on different journeys of figuring that out. Uh, some are in mixed orientation marriages. Uh, some are single and celibate and, and uh, trying to live out a single celibate life. Uh, but but you are really encouraged that we have uh, gay and straight guys or straight and non-straight guys together in the same group because yeah. you, you said, you know, often it's like, oh, you're not straight. You go over here and have your group and yeah. then you straight guys. You go over here and have your group. I just thought uh, it would be good to hear uh, for listeners to hear your thoughts behind that on, on why you think that's a good thing and and how actually I referenced this in episode 67. You've mentioned like we're, we're all in the same boat, actually, yeah. straight and non-straight. And some people, they, they they're like, no, we're not. We're not in the same boat. So uh, explain, explain what you yeah. mean by that. I mean, I think it's. I mean, we are in the same boat in the sense that, you know, we're all trying to manage and steward our sexuality. We're trying to live a holy life. And so it doesn't matter so much what you're attracted to. I mentioned in my testimony that I, I love the, the statement by Dr. Kurt Thompson. And, you know, the question is, why after Adam and Eve sinned, why did they cover themselves around the waist? Yeah. I mean, they didn't sin in that area. Why did they cover their hands or their mouth? And I think he had such an insightful answer. He said, you know, when we experience shame, our first reaction is to cover the parts of ourselves that are different from other people. And so I think it's healthy for me, like if I am talking about my sexuality, to be in a group with other guys that may be straight guys, because it's that vulnerability for me to be with them and to talk about how I experience temptation or arousal that's different from them, to me, to be the most vulnerable. And I think that is such a healthy part of, of just being able to expose how you are, how you process, and, and, and just a situation of just being honest and raw and vulnerable with other people. And I think it's, it's, it's a good thing, because I think especially people that experience a sexuality like I do, we have a tendency to think we're so different from everybody else, and we don't feel like we're included. Mm -hmm. We feel like we're left out, like we're the minority, we're the weird people, we're the gay people. And I think to be in an environment where it's gay, straight, everybody together, it just kind of just takes away those barriers. And we realize, you know, we're all kind of dealing yeah. with the same issues. We're all kind of struggling. We all are just trying to, you know, understand our identity in Christ and, and just, you know, yield to uh, uh, our the desires that God gives us versus, you mm -hmm. know, leaning into our fleshly desires. Yeah. So, yeah. In your, your, in your sermon testimony, you talked about that identity in Christ peace yeah. and, um, I forget how you said it. It was so well done. I literally tell people like that's the best talk I've ever heard on this subject. So, so uh, remember what I said. <laughs> uh, the whole thing, the whole thing, it, you know, and, and I've uh, I've listened to national people talk about this. It's just really, really well done. Um, but I, I love just the part. Yeah. Where you, you talked about um, where and I, I, I just relate to this as a straight guy who struggles yeah. with, you know, sexual sin, sexual temptation, where I think we're all looking for sex, romance, kind of an idealistic, romantic yeah. experience to give us validation, to give yeah. us identity, to, to, yeah. to make us feel like we're valuable. And ultimately, we can only find that in Jesus, that that yeah. that value, that love, that intimacy uh, is is found in him yeah. and we go to sex to find it because it's like this quick fix of what feels like intimacy yeah. but it's 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 not intimacy and it's not intimacy at the deepest level that we yeah. that we find in Jesus yeah. and so 
that's what I love about the conversations we've had. It's, it's one of the many things I love about that sermon you gave is it draws all of us back, whether you're straight or not straight or whether, you know, there's people that don't struggle with sexual sin at all, yeah. but they're yeah. struggling with other sins. Maybe it's greed. Yeah. Maybe it's pride. Yeah. Maybe it's the accumulation of things or of status. Uh, it's the insecurities that that propel them and motivate them to, you know, lose sleep at night or, or whatever it might be. The answer is the same for all of us, right? It's like Jesus, and it, and I'm not trying to make it sound Sunday schooly, but there is a really deep level of understanding. We are the Father's beloved sons and daughters, His children, and 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 that love is through Jesus. And yeah. just to be able to find that, I I try to tell people that are single, that's where you find your wholeness. You don't find it in a in a relationship. And I try to tell people that are married. Don't look to your spouse to give that to you. you. You have to find that in Jesus. And I feel like that's been a big part of your journey. Yeah, it really has been. And I think that is, um, you know, what's been good about our journey and even the last three years of being really honest is, you know, I think so often sex masquerades as something that is going to be so fulfilling and you know it can be but it's like you know what do you really desire what are the desires that god has put in you that you're really searching for i think sometimes we get confused by what arouses us we whatever arouses us is thinking oh that's what i really need to pursue and i think that's the whole galatians 5 story you know you got the flesh and then you got the spirit and this that flesh is always tricking you into thinking hey that's arousing you that's getting your attention that's what you pursue and it's denying that part of yourself and saying no i'll be fulfilled in the desires that christ has put in my heart and i think that's a lot of what we've had especially i think i've discovered over the last three years is because it's easy to think that what arouses you is who you are and mm -hmm. how you are. Yeah. And now that's just your flesh that you're just fighting against. What is it really that God has put in your heart? And I think for me, it was always, it was in my heart to be married to Becky, to love my wife. And I always did, but I'd always just get confused if I got aroused by something and think, oh no, what's wrong with me? And it's like, no, that's just the flesh that's just trying to distract you and make you feel disqualified. And it's yeah. like, yeah. you know, you're not disqualified because of something in your flesh that pops up. If you pursue it, yeah, that's a little problem there. But, you know, if you can deny it and resist it according to like how, you know, the Bible instructs us with the Holy Spirit, you know, you got something going there. And that's mm -hmm. a great thing. And But I think so often a lot of us feel disqualified by what, by what arouses us instead yeah. of learning to be mature and ignoring those and just saying, hey, you know, if I have to deal with that the rest of my life, that's okay. But to deal with it in community as well, to have people understand what you're dealing with. So. Yeah, the community piece is huge. That's the second piece of that intimacy, I think, is it's with God first and then healthy community where you can yeah. be open and like the listener that emailed in to be seen, known and loved yeah. in community. So, uh, that's huge. That's yeah. huge. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Becky, you were talking earlier about, you know, marriage. And I I, I look I, I, too, look at a marriage like you and Jax and I admire you. I, I just think you have so much to offer um straight couples as far as it comes to married uh, marriage advice and uh you know i i think about um even my own story and and obviously a lot of the guys uh that i've walked with through beyond the battle um i'd say it's a pretty common marital story where one spouse or the other the husband or wife or both they just go look i'm not attracted to my spouse anymore uh, you know, I, I'm just not attracted to them anymore. They've changed. 
Um, they're different than who they were when I met them. They do these things that really annoy me. Uh, maybe their body has changed. I'm not attracted to them anymore. And over here, uh, maybe there's someone who I am attracted to, or I know there's a world of, of women or of men out there that I, that I would be attracted to. So uh, that's, I think, a number one reason uh, marriages split up is, is just um, circumstances that, that create feeling of non-attraction, non right? And I was thinking about a mixed orientation marriage and um, you guys have had to work through a lot when it comes to, you know, what's a natural attraction and not. And you hit on some of this before, feel free to repeat any of it, but just what advice or encouragement would you give to married couples who are struggling, just general married couples that are struggling in their marriages with, with this idea of attraction where do I go from here? Is this the end? Well, what, what encouragement, what encouragement would you give to them? Well, I think once again, we, we've, we've, we hit on this a little while ago, you did especially that, uh, that sex has been elevated to this, to this uh, place where you think that that is the litmus test of a marriage. And, uh, and I would just, I would just say, no, it's not. The litmus test of a marriage is the covenant relationship that mm -hmm. you have. And I like uh, how you and Jack were talking a few minutes ago about asking the question of what is it that you're really looking for? Because what, what arouses you, as we were talking about, really, uh, that's, 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 that's just a surface indication of what you're really looking for. And if you take a few minutes, if you take some time with the Lord to really understand that, I think you're going to come up with a whole different answer. And so... Feeling like you're not attracted to your spouse anymore. Um, I mean, there's 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 lots of levels to that. There's you you might be feeling it sexually, but there may be some, a lot of other things that need to you need to get curious about in your relationship. What? How have I been hurt by this person? How is this person not you know maybe not meeting my needs in other ways? That and and how am I looking at this person to meet needs that they were never created to meet? Yeah. Yep. How am I looking at this person saying, I want you to fulfill something that really only the Lord's going to be able to do for you. And, um, and so I think we tend to throw a lot of that on our spouse unfairly, but there's, you know, every every situation, just like Jack was saying, you can't just say it with one words. Every situation requires a whole paragraph for people to understand, okay, well, why is this happening in your marriage? But I think that people need to stop and ask themselves and ask the Lord to help them understand that paragraph for them, rather than just saying, I'm not attracted anymore. Um, I, this is not fulfilling me on a sexual level. Therefore, it must be wrong. That in itself is a wrong statement for any Christian to make. There's got to be some deeper things we need to start being able to look at. And I think as we're able, and but I but I think that a, a piece of understanding that is missing in a lot of teaching really is understanding this covenant piece. And I think we even throw that on ourselves a little too much. I think we look at each other and say, well, this covenant isn't working. Mm -hmm. And maybe we haven't learned how to lean into God for what we really can't do yeah. for ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's almost unfair to look at a couple and say, okay, you guys just work this out. You grit it through, you work it out, you grit your teeth, you make this happen. And, you know, God's going to give you strength to do it. I, I think we need to be a little bit more of 
of, of, of pursuing the Lord together to do what we honestly can't do for ourselves. Marriage is hard. And don't get me wrong, those first three years were, well, the first year particularly, that it was very difficult. It was a lot of that. It wasn't just, oh, one day I had an epiphany and now everything mm-hmm. is great. Um, but the Lord had a process to take people through. And I think people also need to learn the skill of being patient with God's process, both in themselves and in their spouse and in their relationship. But I do think uh, yesterday we were at a, a at a meeting where it was, they gave a illustration about, about golf. We were just talking with some friends um, and it was about uh, letting the club do the work. Now, I'm not a golfer, but it was about letting the club do the work instead of just trying, trying to use your own strength completely to hit a long drive. I think that means something to golfers. It might not totally mean anything to me, but the idea of letting the club do the work, that did hit me. Mm-hmm. That you had to be postured correctly. You had to have the right posture to hit the ball right. You know, you got to hold the club right and all that. But it's the club that's going to do the work. And the club is the Holy Spirit. And I believe that is also true in marriages. And I believe that's true in our personal lives. So I don't know if that, and I really don't mean to sound religious, because honestly, I am not a religious person at all. But I know what God can do. And I know what he's supposed to do. And I know where I'm not leaning into him to do it when I need to. Yeah. And that's, oh, that's that is great. something I had to learn at a whole different sure. level yeah. when mm-hmm. this became an uh you know, at the forefront of our marriage. Yeah. Well, what I hear from you and your marriage from what you've shared um, in this interview so far is it's like you went back to the covenant. The covenant is what kept you together. But then as you sort of worked the covenant, so to speak, as it wasn't just a matter of duty and white knuckling it. It was when we get to the roots of this covenant and we work it, it produced fruit like working yeah. the covenant produced better marital fruit. Oh yeah. Uh, it, 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 whereas I think we normally think of it the other way. It's like, well, if there's fruit, then I'll stick to the covenant. Yeah. And you're saying, no, we start with the covenant and we worked yeah. it and that's all that kept us together. But as we work the covenant and what that actually meant and, and, and is it produced fruit because we stayed yeah. with it. And I think that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. It, did. it did. And I will also say that uh, in some of the fruit that that has produced is not only do Jack and I have the best marriage we've ever had, but honestly, I don't think there's another person in the world that either of us would rather spend time with. Yeah. We we can sit and just have conversation easily two, three hours a day mm-hmm. and, and feel like we haven't. It's 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 just it, it has become easy, yeah. very easy sure. between um, and that's part of what that fruit is. It didn't. It didn't necessarily. We liked spending time together, but it didn't necessarily start at that level. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I. But it is at that level now, and and I'm very grateful to God for that because He's the one that did the work. He truly is. Yeah. That's but good. we had to partner with Him. We had to position ourselves yeah. correctly to let Him do that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's awesome. Let me ask you. Uh, Jack, maybe this is for you. This is from a listener as well that listened to the last episode and then wrote into the podcast. Um, It's from a guy, and he asks, is there a way for men with SSA to develop non-sexual, non-emotional friendships in a safe, healthy, God-pleasing way? If so, how? And then he also writes as some context for that. 
I had someone reach out to me. So this person writing is uh, same sex attracted. Uh, I had someone reach out to me who was local. It would be nice to have a local friend who shares the same struggle. Uh, but my guard went up immediately. This other person was also same sex attracted with two plus years of sobriety, safety uh, with two plus years of sobriety, safety and continued sobriety are of utmost importance to yeah. me. So that's the email. And uh, hopefully I didn't butcher that too much. But essentially, he's saying, hey, I'm an SSA guy. I'm, I'm sounds like I'm trying to live a single celibate life. And um, I'm I'm afraid that if I if like I want friendships with yeah. other guys that are SSA because, yeah, you could relate right yeah. on, a, on a level that we both struggle with this. Yeah. But I'm afraid that this other person's intentions, um, maybe they want more than a friendship yeah. and or maybe we yeah. both are going to want more than a friendship. Should we yeah. put ourselves in that situation? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's a yeah, that's what's good. There's question. a lot of layers to that. So how would you respond to this listener? Yeah, I mean, I, I get his point. Um, you know, I think it is important that you develop good friendships. But, I, you know, and I have friendships with same-sex attracted guys that I'm vulnerable with, as well as I have friendships with straight guys I'm very vulnerable with. And, you know, really, as you start talking, it's really no difference than when you're together, what you desire or what arouses you. Um, so, I mean, I think he can, this guy, he can develop the same uh, intimate, vulnerable friendships with straight guys. It doesn't necessarily have to be a guy that actually experiences the same things you do, because even if a, a straight guy is being very vulnerable, your vulnerability is very similar and what you're struggling with is very similar. So, I mean, I guess I would invite him to don't limit himself to just thinking he has to be friends with the same sex attracted guy. But also, you know, as I've notice a lot of guys are looking for friendships to be honest and raw and vulnerable with that you just start asking other people and say hey i want to do a bible study or i want to study a book together do you want to do this with me and do you want to be honest and i think a lot of guys want to go for it. even you know suggest reading your book together i mean that's mm -hmm. a, that book just encourages vulnerability and i think that's what i've encouraged other um same sex attractions to do they said you know get together some of your friends and be honest and raw with them and share your story but share it around a book like yours and i think uh you know because i think what i've noticed in my story the people the straight people that react to my story with probably the most compassion and understanding are guys that have had to look at their own sexual brokenness and they're kind of recognizing, yep, I kind of get what it's like to be sexually broken. I kind of get your story. It's not a big deal to me. Whether they're gay or straight, yeah, right? Yeah, whether gay or straight. The people that usually have a hard time with my story are usually straight guys who never dealt with their own sexual brokenness mm -hmm. or kind of ignore it or they kind of think it's cool or you're supposed to be this way, that every guy's supposed to lust, that every guy's supposed to, you know, look at women the wrong way. And I think that's that that you know just kind of avoid that crowd but you know find a group of people that are like yeah i'll read noah's book with you because they're the kind of guys that will understand you anyway mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. hopefully that would help but <clears throat> yeah no that's um and you um i don't know you had mentioned revoice to me uh yeah. before jack as well yeah. i know um for this for this listener writing in if you're if you're looking for community uh with with so, those that that are committed to a, um, the, the traditional biblical sexual ethic of yeah. man and woman in yeah. marriage, but who are also gay or same-sex yeah. attracted, um, 
Nate Collins, who I've interviewed before on this podcast. I, I, I have to go look at the feed to see what episode that was, but it was about a year ago or so. Uh, so I'd encourage this listener to go listen to the interview with Nate. Um, Nate founded and runs Revoice with the idea of helping, um, like the other email said, helping uh, non-straight Christians feel seen and known and heard and also create discipleship pathways that are that are um, committed to the, the traditional biblical, you know, sexual ethic. And I will say within Revoice and within what would be called sometimes the side B community, there is a diversity of how to engage with these types of friendships um, and relationships. But I I think it is healthy. Um, I I think what Nate's doing is good. I think what Nate's Nate's doing is healthy. And that could be just a good um, person to reach out to as well as just to reach out to Nate. Yeah, and Revoice is trying to set up local chapters because Revoice is based out, I think, in St. Louis. And so I think right now they have six local chapters in different cities. They're trying to get more so they can put together like communities or forums together. So, you know, check out Revoice. I think it's US and see if they have any community groups in in his area. He might be able to plug in that way or they might be able to help him, um, you know. And they're also on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. And you can reach out to Nate on Twitter. He's he's really, uh, you know, not in a, like he's really active on Twitter. You can yeah. find him. I don't, I think his handles just Nate Collins. I don't remember what it is. Maybe it's something it. else. But look him up and you can send him messages. I think we yeah. initially connected just via Twitter, like yeah. sending messages to each other. Yeah. Um, and I always hesitate. I don't want to sound like the I was a youth pastor for a couple of years, you know, like that youth pastor question, how far is too far? You know, yeah. <laughs> um, I had a conversation with Wesley Hill uh, yeah. on the podcast as well, probably about a year ago about his book called Spiritual Friendship. And yeah. that might be another resource uh, to, to look at for this listener. But I think and I asked him that question on there, uh, how far is too far? And I kind of, you know, joked about it, like the the the, the youth pastor nature of it. Um I would say for this, this listener is obviously someone who's like fearful that uh, I could put myself into a compromising situation, you know, and again, I'm straight. I'm not a saying it's the same, um, but I for me, like I know when I'm having a friendship with a woman, um, I know what my intentions are. I know if this is just like a good, healthy, normal friendship. And I think you can have that as a married man. You can have friendships with women in the church and wherever, like. It's a good thing and healthy, but you know, when you're crossing lines, you know, you know, when, if she's, you know, yeah, you just, you just, you know, you know, when you're deceiving yourself. Yeah. And so directly to this question, I, I would just be really clear with this person that's reaching out to you. Like, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. This yeah. is, this is this, I'm just laying it out and I'm nothing else beyond that. And, um, if that's where they're at, then go for it. And if you feel like, um, I don't, I mean, for lack of a better word, boundaries, you know, if, if those boundaries are ever being crossed, you're just like, nope, it's not, you know, I'm out, I'm, I'm done. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's helpful at all, but. So that's good advice. Yeah. Good. Well, uh, we got a couple more questions here. Um, how do you guys think, um, Jack and Becky, how do you think the church should respond to gay people? Ooh, that's a good question. Do you want to go or let me take that? Well, <laughs> we could either one of us. All right. Well, I'll start. You can fill in. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think the church has done a poor job reaching out to the LGBTQ yeah. community. You know, I look at my story, you know, 
you know, when I, you know, first told somebody I was ex- that I thought I was gay, you know, I was in my early 20s. So that's back in the 90s. And, you know, the church thought, hey, you just go through reparative therapy and you, you know, you'll, you'll turn, become straight. You know, you deal with the broken things in your life and God will make you straight. Now, the, promise is, the problem is that's never promised in the Bible. It's never promised that gay people would become straight. And, you know, the church kind of made up a promise. They kind of, and I think a lot of people, thousands and hundreds of thousands of people were believing that claim. And it just wasn't true. And I think, you know, it left a lot of people devastated. And then I think, you know, the church kind of doesn't know what to do with people if they're not going to be straight. I mean, people listen to me and be like, well, you're married. You can't be, you can't, you can't be same-sex trade. You can't be gay anymore. You have to be straight. And it's like, oh no, I, I can still be. They have a hard time. Underst- you are. Yeah, they have a hard time understanding <laughs> that gay doesn't refer to a behavior. That's just kind of how you are. And I think so many people in the church think if you're gay, then you must be sinning. You're doing something wrong. The Bible says there's never says there's anything wrong with having a homosexual orientation. It's just all the Bible only refers to behaviors that you do that are wrong. So I think the church just needs to first wake up and understand that to have uh, you know, a same-sex attracted orientation is not sinful. And second thing, I think they need to just give people the same compassion that you give to a straight person, listening to their story and not just trying to compartmentalize that word Mm -hmm. to one little box. And, you know, I had a guy uh, the other day I was talking to and he just kept on getting stuck on the fact that I'm still same sex attracted. And I said, (laughs) you know, you have your whole sexual story that you explained to me but you don't want to put my story in one box. You just can't do that. And I think that that's for one thing, you know, just listen to people's story, just ask questions, get to know them. But another thing I think, you know, the church, we need to offer people to be able to come to church and that are curious and that are wondering that it may be gay or on the LGBT plus community and let them just figure out who is Jesus You know, I love in Matthew, um, or not Matthew, yeah, Matthew 11, at the end of Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me. You know, all the other times in the Bible, Jesus would say, follow me. In the Mm -hmm. Gospels, he starts with, hey, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. But at the end of Matthew 11, he says something different. He says, hey, just come to me. Do you have a burden? Are you carrying something that's heavy? Just come to me and learn that I'm gentle and I'm and compassionate and that um." Uh, I'm easy. And I think that's what we, that, that invitation needs to be anybody who comes to church, no matter what they're dealing with. I mean, emotional, yeah. just, you know, experience yeah. Jesus and you pick it up. <laughs> you know, I mean, in that, you know, and I think what an opportunity to say, Hey, are you carrying a burden? Are you heavy laden? Everybody is. Mm-hmm. Then just experience Jesus. You don't have to exactly, you know, it's not that point. He doesn't say, okay, then follow me. Yeah, eventually you will, but just sit with Jesus and experience his compassion. So, I mean, I think that is our vision for our church that no matter who walks in the doors, that they would experience the compassion of Jesus. Absolutely. And that exchange, you know, the load they're carrying for, you know, just the kindness of Jesus. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you know? Yeah, well, I would just add to that also that I, I think uh, in the church, we don't tend to have a lot of patience for the process when people yeah. are, are, are doing their best to follow the Lord. I think that sometimes we just expect that one prayer is going to fix it. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, come from a, I come from a family of deliverance ministers, so I'm very much into the let's pray and see what God does. 
nevertheless, a lot of times that is a that is a long process. Mm. And I and I think that we also need to lean in a little too that Jesus also knows what he's doing. And Jesus may be doing some things that maybe we don't see. And so and so I think we want to have a very open and inviting process, a very open and inviting church. But our goal is just to point them to Jesus and then trust Jesus to do the yeah. work in their life, because I believe that he will, whatever that is. And so while we're very traditional in, in the way that we view and we have a very traditional um, sexual ethic in our church, that doesn't mean that we expect that everybody who walks in the church is going to have that same ethic. And, and it doesn't mean that we're going to try to preach them our ethic immediately either. Yeah. Our idea is simply to point them to Jesus really trust the Lord to do what the Lord's going to do in their, mm-hmm. in their lives. Mm-hmm. That's really up to him more than it is up to us. And as they ask questions, we're there to answer. And we're also there to ask them questions. Yeah. We're not there to just tell them our story and to yeah. put it yeah. down. We are there to really primarily ask them questions because I believe in my, at least in my experience, the more that you take time to ask people questions, the Lord's going to begin speaking to them, even in the answers they begin giving. Yeah, mm, that's good. It doesn't always have to mean me that has the great answer. It just, ha- I just need to be in partnership with the Lord, even in how to ask questions. Mm, yeah. What that's are you good. looking for? Yeah. You know, that's good. Thanks. Mm, that's awesome. That's good. Yeah. Um, well, hey, let me, um, I have more questions than I have we have time for i'm not a good podcast host i I have just so many questions so we're going to shift into kind of rapid fire mode because i want to ask all these against my better judgment um and so this one is a little bit out of left field but it ties in with I i think it does tie into the last question about how you know um how should the church respond to gay people but we just finished pride month uh in the month of june and every year, Pride Month gets a little bit um, more proud. It gets a little yeah. bit more. It just gets a little bit more. I talked about that a little bit in episode 67. Just, um, you know, I see it kind of everywhere now. It's in, um, you know, products and it's at the store and on commercials and uh, little kid cartoons and stuff like that, too. And um, I, I, I am always conflicted. I'm always conflicted with Pride Month. And again, this is this is there's probably longer. There's a long answer we could we could we could do for this. But I'm just wondering, um, you know, part of my conflictedness is like um, like I remember. Well, now it's me giving all the long answers here on my questions, but there's something good about Pride Month in the yeah, sense that of, of like like Nate Collins in his book, All But Invisible, he talks about the sexual revolution. And he says uh, like Woodstock and how we all look at it and are like, that's so sinful. He says, one of the good things that came out, and I'm not saying you have to agree or disagree with this, but Nate would say, one of the good things that came out of the sexual revolution was gay people became visible, like just in secular society. It was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. You're, you exist, you know? Um, And, and there's something about like, like the emailer said, I, I, I'm known, I'm seen, I'm I'm loved from the podcast we did. There's something about Pride Month that that allows people to be known and seen in a yeah. positive way yeah. ra- rather than, you know, the negative way. Then obviously the co- the conflicted nature is um man, what the secular culture is certainly promoting the behaviors too, sure. right? Like the 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 behaviors that that we would not choose to to promote and um 
you know, even promoting them at a young age to children and things like that. I I don't know. I just this is sorry, long, not a good question for rapid fire. But I just we um, originally I thought with this, this we this was scheduled. We're going to do it during June. And I just thought, um, yeah, what what give me give me just talk to me right now. Give me some guidance on Pride Month and just how to emotionally um, process the month as it as it happens i mean it is tricky i mean it, it goes from people just wanting to be seen like hey understand me you, you know uh to you know they're getting a lot of sexual way too sexual and it, it, it it's gets you know almost a little bit disgusting you know but, but i think you know part of it i think as christians we need to look at that as an opportunity for us to show kindness to people and instead of showing so much judgment to people say you know show kindness i mean because that's the way christ found all of us in the midst of our sins and he showed us kindness he didn't sit there and judge and say oh boy that's a really bad sin you know you're doing a parade oh you don't get to come but i mean kind of went to parades and he found people in trees and you know that's the compassion so i mean look at this as an opportunity to show people kindness and I think that's kind of what I, you know, I, I get tired of people judging Gay Pride Month. Like, oh boy, what other people celebrate their sin? And I'm like, do you ever watch TV? Have you ever seen movies? You heterosexual people have been doing it for a lot longer <laughs> than us gay people have been doing. Yeah. So, you know, show a little, you know, show a little compassion here. So, I mean, I just think it's an opportunity to show kindness. And it's interesting, since I shared my testimony, you know, went on the video and, you know, some people, some people, gay people have contacted me and I've had lunch with that don't hold to my sexual ethic. They have a different sexual ethic. And, you know, they would say to me, this was interesting. They said, you know, I don't agree with your sexual ethic, but what I appreciate is that you showed kindness. You showed love to me. You showed respect to me. I would go to your church. Mm. Didn't show up yet. But, you know, yeah, they yeah. said that you showed kindness. And one guy even said to me, you make church safer for me to go to. Because he said, you know, so often I feel as a gay man who doesn't hold your sexual ethic, I'm banned from going to church. Mm. So I thought that's that's the last message. You know, we don't want anybody to have that message. You know, anybody yeah. should feel comfortable walking in church. So for me, gay pride, you know, I get, you know, I, it is different. I mean, it is everywhere. Flags are everywhere now. But I think, heck, as Christians, we're just called to show kindness. So, you know, maybe it's an a, all right, you got something to say. I do. So I'm going to get this as rapid fire as I can. But during those three years, you know, the Lord really began breaking my heart for the uh, LGBTQ plus community that I, because I had had that, the, the view that I think many, many Christians have now, just, you know, those are those gay people over there doing their thing. And I, you know, I've got to have to have my little gay token friend over here and then I'm good. Otherwise, I just ignore it all. Um, but something that happened, and I'll, uh, this is usually something that needs a minute to absorb, but I'll still say it quickly, is that uh, my, my son and I were having a conversation about this. He was uh, probably, I don't know, 16, 17 at the time. And um, I began pondering the gay pride flag, you know, because mm-hmm. what you hear generally in, in a lot of Christian circles is, let's take back the rainbow. The rainbow belongs to us. The rainbow doesn't belong to them. What are they doing? What, uh, what an affront to put that as their you know, symbol. And I began thinking about that and I began thinking about what the rainbow really symbolized in the Bible and what that was a symbol of covenant. What that was a symbol of covenant was God not wanting to destroy the earth again over sin, right? But mm-hmm. him wanting to 
recreate, uh, to, to have communion and relationship with those people rather than destroying them again. That's what the rainbow represents. And us as Christians have such a stronger symbol of covenant, which is the cross. Mm-hmm. That we don't need, honestly, be honest with you, we don't need the rainbow anymore because we already have that. So what does the rainbow signify? It signifies God wanting to come to the earth and having relationship with people who are broken and who are desperate. And I began wondering, what if God actually gave them and allowed them to have that as their symbol? So that when we as Christians see it, it would not drive us into anger. It would drive us into intercession and say, wait a minute, I'm seeing this flag. Let me remember that God wants covenant with the people flying this flag. And therefore, allowing that flag, instead of being repulsed by it, to draw you into some intercession and to a different level of compassion of what God really wants to do. That he still sent Christ to save them as well. And so then I also learned that the gay pride flag really only has six colors, but the actual rainbow has seven colors. And the color that is missing from the gay pride flag is indigo. That color right between blue and purple is not in the gay pride flag. But as you look at what, what that the symbolization of indigo, indigo actually symbolizes identity. So my feeling with the gay, with the whole gay pride flag and with all of that is, number one, I wanted to let it drive me into intercession over the fact that God wants covenant with those people. And number two, that I'm not there to take that flag back. Mm-hmm. My job is to add the indigo to it. Mm. My job is to add the identity to it. My job is to present the indigo and say, would you consider adding this identity piece to your flag? And then let's see what Jesus does. Mm. That's powerful. I love it. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, Okay, just a couple more. Uh, Jack, um, why did it take you so long to tell your story? Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, I thought honestly I was going to become straight. I mean, that was a promise to me in my 20s. And that was a promise that, you know, I was even I was getting counseling before we were married and going, hey, wait a minute. You know, I'm going to get married in, you know, a month, two months now, a few days. What's and like, I don't worry, honeymoon night, you'll turn straight. Now, I bought that. And then you have my honeymoon night. I'm like, wait a minute. Things aren't going that way. But I always love Becky and I always wanted to be with her. So that was never the question. And then I think when we got married, I still kind of thought, well, maybe it's going to happen now. And I think the hard part of reparative therapy, it's all based on if, you know, you try hard enough, if you're good enough, you get enough prayer, you'll become straight. And I think you just kind of live with this overwhelming sense of, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm such a bad Christian. I can't even get God to heal me. And I think, you know, you have the guilt and shame of already being, you know, gay and you don't like that. And then the guilt and shame of you're not, God's not even healing you. And I think, you know, I just kind of, I think I didn't just, you know, you just kind of learn to live with it. And I mean, I didn't, and I wasn't like trying to intentionally deceive Becky because I thought this is supposed to happen. And so I don't think I ever told anybody how that it was still there, just more about guilt and shame and condemnation. Mm. Like I, I, I well, and you also those. really turned your sexuality off. Yeah. You just, mm. yeah, I turned it off. Yeah. That. So yeah, I yeah. wasn't doing porn. I wasn't like pursuing other guys. And, you know, I just kind of learned to turn everything off. Mm. And that worked for me. And a lot of reparative therapy was also, if you don't do it, you're not it. So that mm. was kind of, that was kind of part of reparative therapy because I think they knew it didn't work that good. So if you don't do it, then you're not gay anymore. So I think it was a combination of that. And I think it was just, part of it was just, 
I don't think I have the security enough to know that God just unconditionally loved me. I don't think I felt that. I think I was still striving back then to see, okay, can I prove it to him? What, what more repentance do I have to do for God to maybe love me enough and then say, okay, now I'll make you straight. So mm-hmm. I think that oh, there's a lot of striving. Yeah. Yeah. Probably striving probably prevented me the most from being honest, thinking mm-hmm. I, I can, if I'm good enough, I'll become straight pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me clump these last two into right. one question. It'll be for both of you. Um, have you paid a price for sharing your story? And what is your vision for sharing your story? Oh, you go with the price. What's the price? So we have, we have paid a price. Uh, I think Jack alluded to it earlier that when he shares his story, particularly people that do not have a sexual story that they've processed, mm-hmm. really shun that. Um, so we've lost a lot of friends. We've lost uh, a lot of, of, of people coming yep. to our, we've lost a lot of uh, people in our church. We've had people who have just flat out said, well, I'm not going to church with a gay person and leave. Mm-hmm. Um, we, there's some friendships, I think, that were, we, we were surprised that we lost in the midst of that. Um, but, um, uh, and that, that, that was very painful for us. I, I feel that um, we just were you know, some of that we still process and some of that you still gauge, even as you're meeting new people. Yeah. And there's a, a little bit of a wondering, well, how are they going to yeah. respond to this story when they really know, you know, and, 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 and how, what side are they going to land on? Or are they going to leave too? That's something we still deal with, yeah. I would say. That is so that, that, that is a price that we've paid. However, I, and, and maybe you can speak into this just as strongly as I can um, or more. The, the vision for it is, I think, exactly what I was talking about with the flag and with the understanding and with, do, and, and with being a church where things are done better, where things are done in a way that, that are really going to, I believe, reflect Christ and fulfill the Great Commission. Right. This is a people group that is really unreached in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And they hate the church actually for some pretty good reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some Christians that will say when, especially when their kids come out, but I thought we were supposed to hate gay people. Yeah. And they really honestly believe that. Yeah. Um, so I think part of our vision is not that we're going to change the whole world necessarily, but that the Lord would use us to at least bridge a little bit of, of the gap between the church and the, and, and the LGBTQ community and the sexually broken community at large. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I think, you know, part of our goal of sharing our story is just to kind of normalize the discussion of yes. sex and sexuality. You know, I mean, sex is such a big part of our life, but we don't like to always talk about it in church or even have casual conversations until a person experiences real brokenness to people entering that conversation. So I think, you know, we like to talk about sex and sexuality and the meaning of that, even though it's a small part of your life, but it really impacts the big part of your life. So I think that's been good. I mean, I think one of the benefits of sharing our story and probably Noah, you experienced the same thing with your vulnerability is it's an on-ramp for other people to really be honest with you. The people to say, I could never tell anybody this part of my story, but since you told me yours, I'll tell you my junk. And so that has been probably the benefit of it. Sometimes it has nothing to do with sex either. Yeah, yeah. They just are more vulnerable overall. Exactly, anything. So we've experienced that of people saying, hey, I need to talk to you. I need to tell you this. I need to get this off my chest. I've never told anybody this before. You're a safe person. So that has been probably, that's probably been worth all the losses Mm. of, you know, people saying, you know, hey, let 
Let yeah. me let me be honest with you. I mean, so that's like that's 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 the win. Of, yeah. You know, people can be just honest because you know what that's like just to find the healing of just like you know the secret that I've been carrying, get it out. And so I think we want to be a church that can steward our own story, but actually help other people steward their own story and kind of lead them on their journey of holiness with Christ leading them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I'll say this, you know, about, I don't know, the people that left your church or whatever over this. And I've said this on the podcast before. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of a politically correct word that I, I can say on the podcast uh, <laughs> about my, my, my feelings about yeah. that, how frustrating that is, because I feel like it's so stupid. We'll go with stupid. Okay. Yeah. It's so stupid <laughs> for people to, um, to say, oh, my pastor, he gave this, you know, he, he gave his story and he's gay yeah. as if like, here's what normal Christian is and you're gay. So you're down here. Sure. Like, I'm going to leave because you are less of a Christian. Yeah. And whenever I hear any story of a LGBTQ plus, a non-straight, a same-sex attracted uh, Christian who, who, who is oriented to be attracted to the same sex, and they have they've read scripture and they're they've met Jesus and they're saying, I'm going to follow what the Bible says. I'm yeah. going to follow this extremely hard path yeah. of, of sex being between a man and a woman within marriage, even though that doesn't really make any sense sure. to the way my body is physiologically yeah. Yeah. wired. Uh, but I'm going to pick up my cross. Yeah. Ever heard that before in scripture? And I'm going to follow Jesus. And my cross is heavy and it has a lot of splinters in it, but I'm going to carry it for Jesus. Jack, you specifically and uh, other friends of mine like you that I know that are doing that, you are super Christians. I mean, you you are like it's you are you are you are the model of maturity. Not that you don't have struggles and things like that. Right. But like. I don't know how anyone can look at you and say you're a subpar pastor. You are, uh, you are, you are exuding like the most mature walk you can, you can walk, which is like, this goes against my nature. And yet I'm going to follow Jesus anyway. And I, I I just, it, it breaks my heart. It makes me angry. (laughs) Uh, But I just want to encourage you as well that, that, um, I mean, those people are so wrong and, and I, and I, and I, for me in my walk, I mean, I like I read um, Single Gay Christian by Greg Coles. Yeah, the book is so good. It is yeah. so good. I'm just reading it as a straight married guy going, I want to follow Jesus the way Greg Coles follows Jesus. Yeah, exactly. And if I can do that, I will be just fine. Yeah. Like yeah. the problems in my marriage, the problems yeah. in my sexual temptations, yeah. all that will be solved if I can follow Jesus the way Greg Coles yeah. does, the way Jack Seistema does. So just, just thank, thank you. God. And thank God you. is, is glorified and I'm inspired. Um, and, and so well, I just, said, Noah, thank you. Thank you yeah. so much. That was very yeah. encouraging. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Well, Hey, happy 26th anniversary. Did I get that right? Yeah. yeah. 26. Okay. Yeah. 26. Yes. Thank you. All right. So keep it going. That's awesome. Happy anniversary. And thank you both so much for being vulnerable and being vulnerable in such a public space uh, like this and coming on the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Thank Thank you. you, It was our honor. Appreciate it so much. much. Thank you.
All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Welcome back to Flipside Land. What a great interview, right? Man, so a couple things, just real quick. Feel free to reach out to me, to the podcast. Email is podcast at beyondthebattle.net. Uh, as you as you work through this stuff in your own life, in your own journey, uh, I'm happy to, happy to interact with you a little bit on email. If you have a question you'd like to be read on air, uh, let me know. Put that in the email and let me know. And if you'd like to get in touch with Jack, Jack and Becky, just reach out to podcast at beyondthebattle.net and I'll make sure that I get you uh, in touch with them as well. So uh, we'll start to transition here, start to switch gears um, into Noah's Rant land. For those of you that know that land and know, and know what's coming, brace yourself. I will say too, I forgot to say this in the intro, the flip side now is on YouTube as well. Go to youtube.com slash Noah Flipiak if you want to watch. Uh, these full episodes are, are on YouTube. And maybe, just maybe, uh, last episode, episode 68, the Hillsong Exposed episode, you know, there, there might be a post credit scene. There might be. You just never know. You, you watch these blockbuster movies like The Flip Side. Sometimes the uh, producers throw in a little post credit scene. You just, you never know. I mean, it. If it were there, it man, it would be worth your time. You you would watch it and you would go, "Wow, I am so glad I watched this whole episode to watch that post credit scene." That would be it, it will it will by far money back guarantee, money back guarantee. So just you know, just something maybe I can't promise anything, but you never know. Well, hmm, I wonder what time it is. Well, that alarm bell, that little sound, that little alarmy soundy, tells us there's only one thing. Tells us it is time for the only, the one, the exclusive, the premiere, Noah's rant. Now, what Noah's rant is, uh, for those of you who don't know, it is an attempt at comedy that is awkwardly transitioned after a very in-depth, serious, substantive podcast episode. Uh, interview, great interview with Jack and Becky. All that's over. All the greatness over. It's done. It's through. If you choose to keep listening to to the flip side right now, you will only encounter ridiculousness. You you will listen and you will say, "I wish I hadn't listened to that." If Jack and Becky are listening right now, they'll say, "How did I ever allow myself to come on such a dis uh, disres dis disres disrespectful? I don't know the right word." Such a low-quality podcast as the flip side. Well, this is your warning, Jack and Becky. This is your warning. Uh, anyone listening, stop listening now. The podcast is over. If you continue listening, you've been warned. All that is left is is bad content. It's it's your fault. Don't blame me. Don't send me hate mail telling me how bad the nose rant is. I told you to stop listening. So So now, without further ado... It is time for those of you still around for the one, the only, Nose Rant. Noah's Rant. All right. Getting a little angry brew going. Getting a little angry brew coursing through the veins. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Here's the deal. Here's what I appreciate about Angry Brew. It's good. It's good. It's what I appreciate about it. 
It is good coffee. Okay, that's what I appreciate about it. Now, back in the day, back in the back in the early days of the flip side, this was one of the first Noah's rants I ever did. It might have been the second Noah's rant I ever did. By the way, shout out to producer Travis. We he compiled for our 50th anniversary episode all of the Noah's rants ever done up to that point. It is a five-hour episode of only Noah's rant. <laughs> it is a five-hour episode of only Noah's rant. So give Travis some love and go find that episode. It would be 19 episodes ago, episode 50. Uh, go, go click it. You don't probably want to listen to all five hours of it. <laughs> but give Travis a download. So I think it was the second one. Something like that. I talked about how terrible Folgers coffee is. There was a gas station in the Lansing area where I used to live, and it promoted Folgers Cafe. And I did a whole rant on how that's like promoting a fast food restaurant, promoting that they sell French fries sold underneath the garbage can that were found under there. Like putting that on a big sign and saying, yeah, come in. We have French fries from under the garbage. That's that's the if you promote Folgers, let alone it's bad enough to drink it. If you promote it, it's really a whole nother level bad. But somehow I don't know how because I mean I, the flip side is listened to by most of the world. Most of the world, at least that has you know internet access and online and things, listens to the flip side. So somehow I don't. I don't know how the message got lost in translation. I mean, I, I am a parent of three children. You can you can see them. It is crazy. The mirroring, the mirroring. It's very hard to know which way is left and right. There's my children. Some some photos of my cute little children. Uh, there are times as a parent, I tell my children something, and they don't listen to me. They're dad. I know, right? I am the smart guy, and I tell them something, and they just don't listen. I think that might be what's happening with Noah's rant. I don't think it's an issue of not enough people listening to Noah's rant. I think they're listening and they're choosing not to do what I say. That's that's hard. That stings a little. That stings a little. Because here's the deal. I went on a retreat this week. Shout out to retreats. Yeah. Shout out to taking a break. In ministry especially. Beautiful retreat center. Oh, gorgeous. Amazing. Beautiful. I'm not going to share where I went. The reason is their coffee was so nasty. I, it, it, if I had not taken things into my own hands, it would have ruined my whole retreat. How can you have a retreat with bad coffee? It's like, hey, we have this amazing retreat center. It's very beautiful. Trails, lots of Jesus-y sort of things to reflect on. Quiet. And we're going to serve you nasty, whatever it was, Folgers, Maxwell House, let me tell you, that, that coffee, it tasted like if you took good coffee, if you took some angry brew or some Chris's blend and you brewed it and then 
you added about a gallon of water to it, and then you left it out on your countertop for a month, and then you put it in an air pot, those, those things that you push down and the coffee comes out, and then I came up and put my cup under it to have a delicious, relaxing blend of coffee, and then I went on to my retreat time with God to do some journaling, to reflect on his goodness. And then I drank from the sewers of Hades himself. Hades itself. I, I, I know some, some of you good old friends out there would get mad if I said where that coffee really came from. So I just used the Greek word, the Greek word for it instead. We can say Hades on the flip side. That coffee was so nasty. And and look, this is the thing. Some of you drink that coffee. You think that's okay. Some of you serve that coffee at your churches. You're inviting people into your churches to hear about Jesus. You want them to hear the best message in the world. And your coffee was... is. It's what Satan serves for all eternity. That's what he serves. And you're serving it at your church because you're cheap. Because it's like five cents a pound. Because it was grown by slaves. That's actually true. Kind of. Maybe. Questionable. Get, uh, what's the word? Sourced? Fair trade? Um, ethically sourced. Get ethically sourced coffee, please. It always tastes it tastes better anyway because it's real and it it's it wasn't brewed by Satan, uh, not brewed by Satan, uh, roasted, roasted and produced by him, and 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 he does brew it in his homeland for all eternity. Don't serve that stuff at your church. Stop. Remember prohibition? They put all the liquor in barrels. I don't get that. Why was all the liquor in barrels anyway? <laughs> if you didn't, if you don't want the liquor, get just like dump it down the drain. We need prohibition when it comes to cheap, nasty coffee. Pro, it is illegal. It is a car, it is a cardinal sin. It is an abomination. This needs to be added to to the Bible. I don't care about that verse that says don't add or subtract anything. We can make an exception here. Okay. If you drink Folgers, Maxwell House, whatever, another nasty cheap generic garbage is out there you're not drinking coffee you think you're having coffee you're like oh good coffee yeah no 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 that would be like taking a saltine cracker dunking it in ketchup and eating it and thinking you're eating pizza and going oh, i love pizza yeah like the teenage mutant ninja turtles love pizza Pizza Hut, Domino's, pizza is an American tradition. I'm eating pizza right now. Crunchy, crunchy, crunch. Ketchup dripping down your the side of your lip. I love pizza. No, 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 no. A saltine dipped in ketchup is not pizza, friend. Let me come alongside you. Let me be your accountability partner. Let me be your Covenant Eyes ally. That's not actually pizza. That's nasty, and you need to stop. That's not actually coffee. It's nasty, 
and you need to stop. This is like digging a half-eaten hamburger Big Mac out of the garbage at McDonald's and thinking you're eating a steak. That is not a steak. That is nasty. It is gross. And you need to stop. Shout out to Angry Brew for sponsoring the flip side Noah's rant. We together are making the world a better place. Stop drinking nasty coffee. Drink Angry Brew. Drink Chris's blend. Drink anything but Folgers or Maxwell House. We pray that God's kingdom comes here to this place. That his will is done the way God's will is done in heaven. That it happens this way on earth. So why would you brew Satan's coffee? Why would you brew Hades coffee? That's not God's kingdom coming to this place. Brew good coffee. And by all means, retreat center that I just visited. Please listen to Noah's rant. Please heed these words because I want to come back. But I can't if you brew nasty Folgers coffee when I'm there. Epilogue. I did not drink that nasty garbage. I, I dumped it down the drain even though I was on retreat, even though I was out in the middle of nowhere. I punched into my little GPS on my phone the nearest gas station and I drove there praying, naming it and claiming it, saying, Lord, if you ever come through for me, come through for me now. I need a gas station that sells good coffee because I was in the middle of the woods there was no coffee shops around. There was no grocery stores. And I drove up to this gas station. And I tell you what, brothers and sisters, right connected to that gas station was a Tim Hortons. Let me tell you, Timmy H came through for me. The Lord provided a ram in the bush. He provided those amazing bags of coffee on the shelf at Tim Hortons inside the gas station. And I bought me a bag. I bought two bags because I needed some decaf as well. And I went back to my retreat center and I actually stole the little coffee maker that they have out in the commons room. And I took it into my room and I made my own coffee. <laughs> I did. It was awesome. That's what we do around here. Making the world a better place. Bringing God's kingdom here to this place. His will, the way it's done in heaven. And, and, and that, that, that is what Noah's rant is all about. And I think we've accomplished that today. And if not... I'll just do another rant on cheap coffee 10 episodes from now, and we will keep doing that for all of eternity until all cheap coffee has been thrown in the garbage. Thank you for listening. Go to beyondthebattle.net to join a seven-week small group with me. Go to patreon.com slash noahphilippiak if you want to support the show. Angrybrew.com promo code FLIP. I will see you next time on the flip side. The Flipside with Noah Philippia is a Beyond Ministries production. Copyright Noah Philippia. www.noahphilippiac.com. Theme music by Kyle Lake at Kalake Music. Used with permission. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. It's time to bring me closer. There's no purgatory because you're in or you're out. When you see them in the clouds, you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days.